Good morning, church. Great to see you. And um, yeah, so we've been on this journey for the last nine or ten weeks through the Apostles' Creed. I think it's been a great journey. I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, It's just a great reminder of the fundamentals of our faith, the non-negotiables. You know, those things that unite us, whatever denomination we may be part of, these are the things that we stand upon. These are the things that unite us. And today and next week, we're really reaching the culmination of all that's gone before. So who God is and the work of Christ on the cross, the culmination of all of that, the result of all of that is that those who are included in the communion of saints, which we spoke about last week in the church, so those who put their trust, their hope in Jesus and in saving work on the cross, ultimately will have life everlasting with God. Resurrection and life everlasting. That's what we're going to be speaking about next week. But we can only live in that hope because of what we're looking at today, which is the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's what was made possible by Jesus on the cross, and it's what makes re- reconciliation with God possible. And of course, the forgiveness that we receive from God, and by the way, I'm aware there may be some people here, there may be some of you here who think, oh, I, don't, I don't need God's forgiveness. What are you talking about? I'm not a, you know, or for you, the, the notion of sin is a kind of an outdated, archaic kind of idea. I am going to come to that a bit later on, so hang in there if that's you. But the, the forgiveness that we receive from God, it doesn't only change our eternal destiny. It does do that in a glorious way. But it also changes how we live now, or it should change how we live now. It changes how we view the world and how we view others and how we view ourselves. And it's what makes it possible ultimately for us to forgive others, to truly forgive others, which is a clear command of scripture as we're going to see in just a minute. And I think actually that practical outworking, us extending forgiveness to others, that practical outworking of the theological truth of God's forgiveness for us, I think that's such an important thing for how we live, for how we live out our lives. That's where I'm going to start. So I'm kind of going back to front on this today. I'm going to start with the practical outworking of a theological truth, our forgiveness towards others, before working back to look at the theological truth itself, which is God's forgiveness of us. And the reason for placing an emphasis on that is because I think actually that there's nothing that gives the enemy, that gives Satan a greater opportunity to stop you growing and to stop a church growing or even to destroy a church than roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and pride. I think that when we forgive, it's when we're at our most Christ-like. It's the most Christ-like thing we do is when we extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is a mark of a supernaturally changed heart. It's the result of receiving forgiveness from God. So I'm going to be reading from probably the most familiar uh, teaching on forgiveness that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at three main things that come from that passage that we're going to read. So first is why we must forgive. And then the second thing is the cost of forgiveness. And then the third thing is the secret of forgiveness. How, how do we do it? How do we forgive? So why we must forgive, the cost of forgiveness, the secret of forgiveness. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 18 from verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees, begged him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay all the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Now I think, I think that Peter probably thought he was being quite generous with his opening bid of forgiving up to seven times. You know, I know Jesus is into this forgiveness thing and so I'm, gonna, I'm about to blow his mind with my generosity seven times. And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven, 77. And other versions of the Bible say 70 times seven. Now, what Jesus isn't saying here is that you, you keep forgiving, you keep a tally, and then on the 78th occasion, now you can punch him in the face. Now you can shoot him, do what you want, because they've exhausted your reserves of forgiveness by then. No, no, he's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is you continue to forgive. He's saying, actually, there's not a time where it's okay not to forgive. And you might hear that and think, yeah, okay, I can see what Jesus is saying there. But think about what else he's saying, because there's a heavy implication here. There's no qualification he gives, or that Peter gives, of what this sin is. He doesn't talk about certain sins and other sins, you treat them differently. No, no, no. So really what Jesus is saying is that even if someone wrongs you as fully and as completely as any human being can, and that opens the door to some pretty terrible things you must forgive even that so if you imagine the very worst thing that anybody could do to you and some of you right now I imagine will be remembering things that have been done to you terrible things appalling things that I will never claim to understand because I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. I don't. I wouldn't pretend to know what it's like for you or that any of what I'm talking about today is easy. What I would say is that I do have an absolute confidence in the power of the gospel to transform your life, to bring healing, to bring freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So I'd encourage you, be open to him speaking to you today. Be open to him working in your heart today. If you imagine the very worst thing that anybody could ever do to you, Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, you must forgive them. So why is he so strong on this? Why is Jesus so hot and strong on forgiveness? Well, we get a clue towards the end of the passage. 
where we see that the servant who had been released from his debt by the king, but who then refused to release his fellow servant from his debt, he's turned over to the jailers to be tortured. And when the New Testament talks about torture, it's usually referring to some kind of spiritual torment. And then Jesus finishes with that pretty chilling statement at the end, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus is giving a pretty emphatic warning that if you don't forgive, if you withhold forgiveness, you will suffer some kind of spiritual torment. It's you who will suffer in your life. You won't know peace. You won't be able to lead the free life, walk in the freedom that God has won for you and he wants for you. So unforgiveness has serious consequences for you and it will end up damaging you far more actually than the other person. Now maybe you don't think... You've heard me talk about there'll be some people here for whom terrible things have happened to you, and so forgiveness is a really big issue for you. But it might be equally there are lots of people here, and you don't think forgiveness really is particularly an issue for you. I don't have anyone to forgive. You know, no one's ever done anything particularly bad to me. I'm pretty easygoing. It's just not an issue for me. I do know someone who does need to hear this, but not me. So what I'd say to that is, don't be so sure. Just don't be so sure. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no bitter root grows up. And I don't know if you've ever tried to get rid of a rose bush from your garden, if you have a garden. We've got one by our front door. And it's a horrible thing. I hate it. Because it just grows these long, thorny branches. It doesn't really produce any roses. And a number of times over the years, I've tried to get rid of it by cutting it back, hacking it back, even down below the surface of the soil, trying to get rid of this thing. Of course, it always grows back. Why? Because the roots are still there. And this thing has been there for such a long time that the roots go down very deep indeed. Anger, bitterness, resentment that are not dealt with properly, they work in the same way. It works initially in a, a kind of a hidden way. It takes root under the surface, but then you start to see the thorny branches appear. You start to see it appear, and the effects come out on the surface. I guess that can very often happen, particularly in marriage, um, or maybe in a very close friendship, but where a seed of bitterness has got in. You've allowed a seed of bitterness. You, you didn't meet my needs. You... You weren't there for me. You were too busy to care about me. But then the thing is, over time, that seed of bitterness comes in. And if it's allowed to stay in, rather than recognise and appropriately cut off, then it gets watered and it takes root. Those thoughts are indulged. You continue to rehash them in your mind. And it becomes, instead of you weren't there for me, it's you're never there for me. You, you never meet my needs. You clearly don't love me. And the thorny branches grow up and, and wreak havoc in a marriage and, and, and pull it apart. As I said, you could apply the same to a close friendship. So the point is this, be alert. Be alert, watch yourself. Whenever somebody wrongs you in some way, even if it's a relatively minor thing, watch yourself. Pay attention to what's going on in your own mind, in your own heart. Because if you let just a seed of bitterness, a seed of resentment come in and then stay in and you indulge it, it will become part of you and it will change you in ways that you're not aware of. It may be bringing cynicism or um, hardness of heart, self-pity, a fear of trusting people. It will impact your relationships. See to it that no bitter root grows up 
to defile you, to cause trouble and defile you. This is an issue for all of us. Don't kid yourself that forgiveness isn't an issue for you. It's an issue for all of us. Very famous quote from Nelson Mandela about the day he was released from prison. He said, as I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. And I think Nelson got it pretty spot on there. Why forgive? Why must we forgive? Well, first of all, because Jesus commands it. And actually, that's, that should be enough in itself. But actually, Jesus commands it for a very good reason. Because there are serious consequences to you. Like Nelson Mandela says, you end up being in prison. You end up trapped and enslaved and in prison. There are serious consequences. Spiritual torment, a loss of peace, robs you of the freedom that Jesus won for you. It disrupts your relationship with God and with others. Those are not things I want in my life. So we must forgive. We can get that intellectually, I think. We can understand that. But of course, it's another thing actually doing it. Because there's a big cost to forgiveness. And the greater the harm that has been done, the greater the cost. So in the parable, Jesus talks about sums of money that are owed, debts that have been accrued. And by the way, the debt of 10,000 talents owed by the servant to the king, that's an unfeasibly large amount of money. It's billions and billions of pounds. It would take multiple lifetimes to repay. In other words, and the point that Jesus is making is it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Even though the servant begs and says, I'll pay you back, there's no chance. Absolutely impossible to repay that size of debt. But the king cancels the debt. Now, when somebody wrongs you in some way, there is a debt that is created. And it's far less easy to quantify than sums of money, but there is a debt, there's an emotional debt that's created because pain has been caused. They've, they've caused you pain, they've hurt you, and now they owe you. And forgiveness is like choosing, like the king, to cancel that debt. Probably worth saying though, that it doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean just allowing yourself to be subjected to repeated and ongoing sin like a doormat. It's not that. Forgiveness doesn't mean not taking appropriate measures to put a stop to sin when someone's repeatedly sinning against you, but it does mean choosing not to take revenge for that sin, choosing not to make the other person pay the debt of emotional pain that they owe you. But the problem with debt is that it does have to be paid. It does have to be paid somehow. And the most natural response, the usual response for us, would be to make the person who owes us pay. Make the other person pay. Maybe through insulting them, or through hurting them, or gossiping about them and trying to ruin their reputation. It might even be just rooting against them, so that when something goes wrong in their life, you're there saying, yes, that's just what you deserve. I'm glad that happened to you. So I remember an incident on the school playground when I was seven or eight. And uh, I had had a bit of a falling out. I can't remember what it was over. A bit of a falling out with my group of friends. And so it resulted with me standing in the corner of the playground, arms folded, feeling a bit sorry for myself and wondering, how do I get out of this hole that we've kind of dug ourselves here? And then <clears throat> there was one particular boy who, to be honest, he was a bit of a hanger-on. He, you know, he thought he, he wanted to be part of our group, but he wasn't really. You, you, you know what I mean? And he came over to me, standing there like this on the corner of the playground. He came over to me saying, John, it's okay, I want to be friends, I want to be friends. And then as soon as he got close enough to me, he kicked me. And then he ran away laughing back to my group of friends. I was furious. I was so angry. One, because of what he'd done. I mean, it was humiliating. 
and it was designed to be humiliating. And the second is because of who it was who had done it. He's trying to get into my friendship group at my expense. Anyway, the foolish boy tried the same trick again. This time I was ready. (laughs) And so as he got close enough to me, I went for him. And I landed such a hard kick on the side of his leg. And I tell you something, it felt so, so good. (laughs) It felt so good. And, you know, to see him on the floor crying, (laughs) that was even better. Because, do you know what? In the moment, revenge does feel good. It does. Because they've hurt you. They've hurt you, and so you want to make them pay. You want to see them hurt as well. And when you make them pay in that way, it feels like you're getting that debt down. You're, you're paying it down a little bit. They now owe you a bit less, or maybe it's been paid off altogether. So in a way, revenge works. But of course, there's a big catch. And it's a really quite a serious catch. Because the problem is that in the process of taking revenge, anger and bitterness, they've passed into you. They've taken control. You're under the control of anger. You're under the control of bitterness. And in making them pay the debt, as good as it might feel in the moment, you end up changing. Whenever we try to make the other person pay the debt, you give bitterness the opportunity to take root. And it will warp you. It will twist you. And you're living in disobedience to Christ as well. So, one option is to make them pay. But that has serious negative consequences for you. The other option, the only other thing that you can do is to pay the debt yourself. You absorb it yourself. In the parable, the king, he cancels the debt. He forgives the debt. But of course, the debt doesn't just cease to exist. There's still a debt that exists, but it's absorbed by the king. In effect, he pays the debt by not receiving it back, by choosing not to receive it back. He takes the hit. It's a phenomenal amount. So this really, really costs him. So by choosing to forgive and therefore resolving not to take revenge and not to seek revenge, you're inwardly surrendering the right to repayment. And you end up paying the debt not self. Because every time you really want to make them pay, but you choose not to, every time you want to rehash the past and club them over the head with it, but you choose not to, that kind of hurts. That has a cost. Every time you want to be cold towards that person, but you choose to be warm towards them, or every time you choose not to rub their nose in it and to not gossip about them, that hurts. Every time you, you choose to want to see them prosper, that hurts. Every time you refuse to exact repayment in some way, it hurts. And so you are paying the debt. But you are also refusing to allow anger and bitterness to pass into you. You're refusing to fuel those things, to fuel anger and bitterness, to let those toxic things pass into you and have their way in you and to take root. And when you stop fueling a fire, what happens is the fire starts to die down. So as you pay the debt and you choose to give no oxygen to the fire of anger, the fire of of bitterness, then the anger starts to die down. It gets less, but also you go free because anger and business have not taken hold of you you're the one in control of them not the other way around so clearly forgiveness has to be granted before it's felt it has to be a choice forgiveness because if we waited for the feeling to forgive we never would we would never forgive anybody 
And of course, in some situations, you completely understand the delay. You completely understand someone saying, I'm not ready, I'm not ready to forgive. I'm not ready to forgive. You know, for example, I could pick lots of examples, but um, uh, uh, let's say a, a woman whose husband has left her for someone else. Right? And some of you may know the pain of that. You could, you could absolutely understand her in that situation saying, I'm just not ready to forgive him yet. I'm not ready. But effectively, what she's saying is, by staying angry, I'm, I'm not letting him off the hook and I'm, I'm getting my own back on him. The problem is, he might be getting on with his life just fine with his new partner. And the fact that she's still feeling resentful and bitter and angry, it hurts someone, but it's not him. The bitterness will take root. And it will change her. Someone once said that bitterness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person will die. So forgiveness, extending forgiveness to others, forgiveness from the heart, is really agreeing to live with the consequences of somebody else's sin. And that might seem really unfair. And in a way it is unfair, but you don't have a choice. Because everybody is living with the consequences of somebody else's sin. You don't have a choice in the matter The only thing you do have a choice about is whether you do that in the bondage of bitterness or in the freedom of forgiveness. So we understand the need to forgive, why we must forgive. We understand there's a cost to forgiveness. And so how do we do it? How on earth do we do this? And this is where we come back to the Apostles' Creed and the importance of believing in the forgiveness of sins from God to us. What is the secret of being able to forgive, even in the very worst of circumstances. It can only happen when we grasp what we ourselves have been forgiven, the extent of God's forgiveness to us, the size of our debt to God and the grace of God to forgive. And like I said at the beginning, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't think, maybe you think, I I, haven't, I don't need forgiveness from God. I haven't done anything wrong. I've never done any bad sins. I've done, done, I haven't done bad things. You know, I, I'm a good person. I don't need forgiveness from God. If that's you, let me just, let me just talk to you directly for a, a few moments. First up, I don't think you're being entirely honest with yourself. Because I think we all know that there are moments in our lives where we haven't really met the mark in terms of how we've acted. We haven't exactly covered ourselves in glory in how we've acted, how we've responded. I think every human being knows that. We, we can't even live up to the standards we set for ourselves, let alone God's standards. I think everybody is aware of that. Everybody knows that. This, and I think more is a flaw. There's something in us which leads us to that, to that place. And I think more often than not, the, the thing of I don't need God's forgiveness, I think it comes down to the human desire for autonomy. Autonomy literally means self-law. That we don't like the thought, as human beings, of being responsible or being accountable to somebody else for our actions, for our, for our behaviour. We want freedom without any restraints whatsoever. And so the idea of needing forgiveness, being in a position where I need forgiveness from God, that completely goes against any ideas of autonomy. But of course you know autonomy, human autonomy, is an absolute illusion. It's an illusion. I mean, try jumping from a cliff without a hang glide or a parachute and see how autonomous you are over the law of gravity. No, no, no. It's only in submitting to that law, acknowledging that law, submitting to it, and acknowledging there's another law you need to take account of of aerodynamics. 
It's only in acknowledging and submitting to those laws that it gives you the freedom to fly. Laws that some people might see as restraints. No, they bring freedom. It's the human desire for autonomy, self-law, that is at the heart of the human problem. It's at the heart of the world's problems. A refusal to acknowledge and submit to the rule of God, even though it's within the the constraints of, of his rule that we find life. We find freedom and we find purpose in the same way that submitting to the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics gives you the freedom to fly. It's a refusal to acknowledge and submit to the rule of God is at the heart of all our problems. It's what happened right back at the beginning in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. We want autonomy, not your rule. And it was utterly disastrous for all of humanity, for all of us. And it's that spirit of disobedience and autonomy that the Bible calls sin. That's what sin is. It's so much more than just specific bad things that you do. It is that. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Actually, sin is more like a disease that spreads and afflicts the whole of the human race. And it affects your actions, but it also affects your desires and your thoughts and your impulses. We're born in sin. It's inherited. We can't can't do anything about it. We have no choice in the matter. We're born in it. And it's destructive. It's like a power that wants control of you. It wants to enslave you. It wants to entrap you under the guise of freedom. The pretense that freedom is found in autonomy. Because sin is deceitful. It deceives and it blinds us to our sinful condition so that we don't realise the precarious situation that we're in and the danger that we're in and how great is our need of forgiveness from God. How how great our debt to God is. And so if that's you, if that's the position you're in today, my prayer for you today is that your eyes will be opened And that you would be brought to an awareness of the weight and the seriousness of your sin. And of your need for God and your need for his forgiveness. And only God can do that, by the way. I can't do that. Only God can do that. It's what happened to me when I was 17. Um, I had a kind of a thunderbolt moment of seeing myself as I really was. In the eyes of the world, I was a 17-year-old. I was a good person moral, Sunday school background. I wasn't rebellious. I wasn't into drugs or smoking or anything like that. I was, had good prospects, good person. And then in this moment, I suddenly become aware of the filthiness of my heart and of how grievous my sin, my self-centeredness was to God and how arrogant I was to think that I knew better. I knew how to live life better than God and how desperately I needed God and his forgiveness in my life but the beautiful thing is that no sooner had I experienced that than I knew the love of God someone who is so undeserving of God's love in fact I just deserve judgment I just deserve condemnation I suddenly found myself loved experiencing this burning passionate intense love that is beyond description and I, I felt cleaner, I felt more joyful than I ever have before, ever. I experienced the forgiveness and the grace and the love of God. It required first knowing and acknowledging that I was a sinner. I needed him and then I experienced his love, his forgiveness, his grace. I pray that you would experience that too. Because it will change your life. It will change your life now and it will change your life for eternity in a glorious way. In the parable, 
the servant goes out and he effectively starts acting like a king because he places himself in a place of superiority and judgment over his fellow servant and he demands repayment. He acts like a king. We do the same. Whenever we refuse to forgive, we become like a servant acting like a king because we place ourselves in a place of superiority and judgment over others. We who have been remember who we are have to remember who we are, that we are servants who have been released from an infinitely greater debt to God than anything we may be owed by somebody else. By the way, the sum of a hundred denarii that was owed by the second servant, it's not an insignificant amount. This is three months wages we're talking about. It's a lot of money. Jesus is not saying that the wrongs that have been committed against you are trivial. Far from it. In fact, you know what? He sees what has been done to you. He sees it. He loves you so deeply that he feels it deeply. Where you've been unjustly treated, where you've been sinned against, he sees it and he feels it and he will deal with it. He will deal with it. Romans twelve nineteen says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So forgiveness is not just pretending nothing happened. It's not sweeping what was done to you under the carpet as if it didn't matter. No, it mattered very, very much. And it matters to him very, very much. He sees it, he feels it. Forgiveness is putting your faith in him. It's choosing to trust God with what happened and to hand over all of the pain that was caused and all of the demands for justice, the demands for revenge, hand it all over to him in the knowledge that he will ensure that justice is done because he is the righteous judge. As we heard a few weeks ago, he is the righteous judge who will come to put all things right in the end. Everything will be put right. Justice will be done. But in the meantime, you walk free. You've handed it over to him. You walk free. Jesus is not saying that the wrongs that have been done to you are trivial. He is saying, though, that the debt that you've been released from yourself is infinitely greater. Is infinitely greater. And that means that actually you don't have the right to withhold forgiveness. It's not within your rights to do that. No matter what somebody else has done, you can't feel superior to somebody else because of the debt, the enormity of the debt you owed yourself. But again, we come back to the point, this is really hard. This is really hard, so how do we do it? There's only one way. Only one way we can possibly live in this way that Jesus is asking us to do. The only way to remember who you are and to stop being a servant who is acting like a king is to gaze upon the sheer beauty and majesty of the king came as a servant the one who the judge who who didn't stay there up there in his judgment seat he came down and he subjected himself to judgment on your behalf the one who who died an agonizing death on a cross to pay your great debt the one who who took upon himself the weight of all the sin of the world experienced separation from his father he went through physical agony he went through spiritual agony he went through emotional agony he was handed over to the jailers to be tortured on your behalf so you were you don't have to be gaze upon him on the cross dying for your sins 
paying your debt fully. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's mostly done. He said, it's finished. It is finished. My work has been completely done, which means that your debt has been completely and fully paid. There's not a little part of it that remains that you have to keep working hard to pay off. No, your debt of sin is completely paid. It's fully paid off now and for eternity. There's nothing that can change that. And he didn't just magic the debt away. He absorbed it himself. He absorbed the cost like the king in the parable. He paid your debt at a great cost. A massive cost to himself. So do you know it? Do you know it? Not just in your head, not just intellectually, but in every fibre of your being. Do you know that you're forgiven? And do you live like it? Do you live like that's true? Maybe you don't always feel forgiven. Maybe you don't always feel it. But listen to what it says in 1 John 1, nine. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. He will. He will. The basis of the assurance, your assurance of forgiveness is not your feelings. It's not whether I feel like I'm forgiven or not. It's the promise of God. It's the unbreakable promise of God. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. It's the confidence that God really means what he says and he does what he says he'll do. You know, you're not a special case. You're not the one person who's out of reach of God's forgiveness. You're out of reach of the power of the cross. No, no, no. The power of the cross is is there for every sin. It defeats every sin. It forgives every sin. You are a saint. God calls you a saint. A holy one. A righteous one. Not your righteousness, but his. Believe it. Believe him. Trust in him. Trust in his love for you that was so amazingly demonstrated on the cross. And gaze upon the beauty of the king who came as a servant for you. And live in assurance of his forgiveness for you. You are forgiven. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Feelings will follow. I'm just going to finish with this. It's a very well known example. Um, I think it just draws these threads. These two threads of our forgiveness for others. God's forgiveness for us together. So it's Corrie Ten Boom who was a, a Dutch Christian Many of you will know who she is. She lived through the Second World War, spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she tells the story of the terrible treatment she received at the hands of the SS guards and also how her sister died in the camp. This is someone who knows what it is to be wronged. And then years later after the war, she was preaching on the subject of forgiveness when a guard from the concentration camp walks in. And at the end of the meeting, he comes forward to speak to her. And she writes this. She writes, his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled within me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile, I struggled to raise my hand, I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him, give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. 
And so I discovered that it's not on our own forgiveness any more than on our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you? Have you received God's forgiveness? Do you know you've received God's forgiveness? Do you trust in God's forgiveness? Or do you continue to judge and condemn yourself even when God has given you his verdict? Believe in his forgiveness. Believe in his power. Believe in what he says about you. Trust in the power of the cross to pay the price for all sin, even yours. And let your heart be filled to overflowing with the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God so that forgiveness and grace can flow from you, from your heart out towards others. Let us fix our eyes on him. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us immerse ourselves in his love and in his grace and then go and live in the freedom that he has won for us. Amen.